Welcome to Game Talk Radio, your hosts, Greg and Jen, bringing you their take on this week's hottest gaming news. Welcome back to Game Talk Radio. This is episode 18. I'm Greg. I'm Jen. And today, I don't really have a theme. I know, like... You did the theme, like, two episodes. Two episodes in a row. Two episodes in a row had a theme. It was great. I guess today's theme would be... Give the people what they want. Hmm. I like that. Okay, I'm down with that. Yeah. That's pretty good. (laughs) So, the first story, then, we wanted to talk about and go a little more detail about today was uh, an article that came out on Friday about uh, Steam. Right, so Steam is the digital platform that's by Valve, and it's you know where all the PC games for the most part have to run through, and uh, yeah, so it's a big online portal as we've talked about many times on here in many different ways. Uh, so Steam review scores no longer count people who didn't pay for the game. Right, and I mean last year I think it was around September they changed their rating system, so of course you know. A good eight months later, they decide that they're going to change it again. Now, I'm not very familiar with... I don't play a lot of online-only games like Steam, like Steam offers, but you do, and you buy packs of games, and sometimes you do gift those games to other people that you know, your friends. And from what I understand, based on this article... Even if you gift that game to somebody, they can't review it. Right. So just to clarify, like Steam also has a whole bunch of single player games on it too. It's basically just a program you download the games through. It's it's essentially a, a way a way of DRM for games, so that you just can't illegally copy them. You have to go and purchase them through Steam and whatever yada yada. So when I first saw this article, I thought, well, great. That means that you know shills. And other people that were, you know, basically given free copies of a game can't give it glowing reviews just because it was free. And as we were talking about it, though, then I started to realize, but wait a minute, if you didn't pay for it, so it includes um, if it was given as a gift. Well, a lot of the times I'll buy a four pack of a game because you typically in a four pack, you get one copy for free and I'll give a few copies out to my friends. None of them then would be able to review the game. Isn't that what I just said? Yeah, exactly. So so that's what I'm saying, though, is I'm, I'm reiterating that. And I'm just saying that, like, it's very, like, when we first talked about it, I was very gung-ho about it. But mm-hmm. then this made me pull back a little bit and say, well, wait a minute. Now, I guess, to be fair, maybe there is no perfect system. There isn't. And, and I talked to you a little bit about, well, they could probably, behind the scenes in their database, have some sort of code or reason code that would be linked to whatever they use to redeem it. So if that code to get the game for free came from a developer, that would be a different reason code than if you gave a game to somebody else. Right. And Valve's basic idea is that if people buy the game with their own money, they're more invested in the game and therefore more honest. And I'm on on Valve's side for this because when I go to a place like Amazon and I look at the reviews and 90% of those reviews at the beginning or at the end of the reviews say something like, or says something like, I received this product for, for uh, free in exchange for an unbiased review. 
I pretty much sign that product off. Be, or not the product, but the review. Okay. Because yeah. I feel like it's not biased, or that it's not unbiased, because they got it for free. You know? And they're they're more likely to provide a good review if they didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because you brought this up and reminded me of it when we were talking about this, but initially we had talked about that and I had made a statement when we first started doing the podcast about how if we ever do reviews or if I ever do reviews, I'm not going to do reviews of games that I would get for free mm -hmm. because I just don't feel like no matter what, you can be completely unbiased. Like, I, sure, you could come out and say, well, I'm going to be as fair as I can be and you can try to be, but until you've plunked down your money, money that you could have used for something else, but couldn't because you used it on this, how can you really give it a fair review? I don't, it just seems like, 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 like because Valve's you're saying Because you're taking out a piece of what makes a person purchase something. No, you purchase something for the quality or the quantity of things that you get. In, in this case, you're getting gameplay and entertainment. And a piece of that pie chart that makes up 100% of why somebody would buy a game cost is ca and can be a fairly decent chunk of that uh, reasoning. So if you take that away, you're, you're missing that and it's not getting counted in, in why, you're, why you're buying or not buying a game. Well, and is, now when I think about it as well, I, I'm thinking to myself, well, what I guess what's different from that than someone who has a whole bunch of money, so they just bought a game and it doesn't affect them financially. Like maybe I'm thinking too much into it. Where if it affects you financially, you might be more, you know, you, your review might be a little more harsh. But if it's somebody who still paid for the game but can buy a thousand games a week, who cares to him? That's a tough one. I don't know. It, I, I like the system. Like I feel like it's a start. Because I do feel like there were a lot of, like, why would you ever trust, like you said about Amazon, why would you ever trust a review where someone said they got it for free? Right. I mean. Well, and bloggers do that, too. Bloggers work with companies and, like, uh, hunts tomato sauce or tomato products or, you know, this these people that make bushes baked beans or whatever. And then all of a sudden you see this recipe and, oh, by the way, they mention that product about eight or nine times within the article with the recipe attached mm. to it so i yeah. mean you see it everywhere because people companies are realizing that they need to get their product out in order to get people talking about it and it's just one type of marketing and like you said developers at who are putting their games um on the steam platform through valve are trying to get their name out there and so they're giving away a bunch of those licenses or those games for free and now they don't really count well and how many times i mean i i we haven't talked much about it on the podcast so maybe you won't hear this but i've read many stories in the past where you'll have someone you know giving something away and then a reviewer will give it a bad score and then they'll be like well we're putting you on lockdown you're not getting any more free copies of our games because you didn't give us a favorable review Right. And you're like, well, wait a minute. So wait, so that free copy was contingent on me giving a good review. And I know I told this story, I think on that same podcast, we talked about this, but uh, Jared, a long time ago, when he was just getting his start, when the movie Kick-Ass was coming out, like he was approached by like a marketing company that said, we'll give you 
you know, we'll pay you for this review, but you have to give it a good score or something like, like it was in the wording was that, you know, we expect a favorable, you know, they worded it where it was probably not against the law or something, but they worded it in such a way where basically it was telling him that he'll get paid if he gives it a favorable review. And much to Jared's credit, he was like, nope, forget it. I don't do that. He's mm-hmm. like, if you want an honest review, you can, you know, not pay me for it or pay me for it. I'll give you the honest review, but I'm going to be honest about it. And so, and, and even like, um, there was a big thing years and years ago where uh, one of the head guys for a website called GameSpot, he was, uh, he'd given a poor review to an IDOS game and IDOS was a huge advertiser in their magazine. Oh, and he oops. was actually, and then after a couple times of being pulled in the office and talked to, he was fired and it was under lock and key for the longest time. You know, you couldn't talk about it. No non-disclosure agreement, stuff like that. And when, when he and eventually uh, started a game website called giant bomb, and so once that company got bought by like a company that used to own GameSpot or something. So then there was this kind of crossover, like he was working for the same company or something again, or there was some sort of relationship again. Mm-hmm. And it was disclosed as to what actually happened. And it was straight up that IDOS was pressuring them saying, we're going to pull advertising dollars if you don't stop giving us bad reviews. Yeah. So that, that sort of thing can happen. So, I mean, it exists. It's just a marketing technique. And, you know, you can disagree with the marketing technique. And that's why we have to be smarter consumers. And just kind of know what we're getting into. But yeah, so basically, you know, people, they will pay people money and they'll have no shame. And there's people out there who have no shame that will just say, yeah, pay me a bunch of money. I'll write whatever you want. I just, I feel as though there could have been a better way to do this rather than hinge it on the fact that they got the game for free. You could have incorporated some kind of idea of um, gameplay, how many hours were put into that game before you can put a review out there. Sure, I like that idea. Because, I mean, as you mentioned before, the group buys uh, from the Steam library are way cheaper if you buy multiples of games, right? So, so many people will buy them in bundles or or however, like I said, I, I can't really speak very eloquently about it because I don't do it. But at least I'm reading the comments of, of this article that we're referencing and several people have said, about you know a a lot of the games in my library are gifts because group buys are cheaper yeah yeah and we're always buying each other gifts and and it's like if i played it i should get the right to do that but again how do you differentiate between someone who gave it to me as a gift to play and someone who gave it to someone as a gift to get a free free publicity so right and you know i i think that what steam or what valve is doing with steam is it's well within their right. Oh, sure. Do, would I have done it that way? Probably not. Because if people understand how that whole thing works about how, you know, you buy things in mass quantities. Well, now that I got that game for free, I can't even review it. I mean, that just doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense because you already bought a bunch of other games and they're just giving yeah. you that perk. So why wouldn't you? allow somebody it just it's like saying that you know if you didn't buy it outright you can't you're not allowed to review it your review yeah. doesn't matter even though it might be your favorite game of the entire bunch well and to your point earlier what they don't it doesn't matter if you can review a game or not but it will tell you how many hours played a person has on a certain game mm-hmm. so that's cool except you can abuse that system like if you leave the game on and then just leave your computer you'll get credit for playing 24 hours of that game if you leave it on for a whole day 
Because yeah. I, I know there was one game I had left on overnight, a couple like over a weekend, and I was like, "Wait a minute, I never put a hundred dollars into this game. Like, how how did I put a hundred dollars in?" And I realized it was a game I must have just had on in the background or something. They really probably should revisit how they calculate that because it if you're if you have that open and you're not actively doing anything in the window or however it works again i don't play games through steam so i have no idea what i'm talking about when i when i say this but it just it feels like you know act it has to be the active window and you have to be hitting some key whatever it doesn't even matter what the key is but you have to have that open and you're doing something or you really should think about instating some sort of automatic log off for an inactive window for yeah. after a certain amount of time i have like idle idle hours played or something you know with yeah. no inputs or something yeah there there's got to be a way to do it and and I don't know if they'll ever do it, but it, to me, makes much more sense to do something like, how many hours have you played? And once you unlock that, you can leave a review. Because how can you tell what a game is like unless you play it for at least an hour? Yeah. At least. I agree with that. Well, it's funny. It's almost like you have to take into account how much of a problem is this. Because if it's mm. not, if it's a big problem that costs them a bunch of money, they'd want to spend money trying to fix it. But if it's just one of those things where they're just trying to appease the developers and appease the the fans at the same time with something that they think is a wrong, then I guess they'll, you know, I guess they'll do as little amount of effort to try to appease people as they can. But mm -hmm. so, oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I would have liked to have seen some numbers about how many so-called fraudulent uh, reviews on games. It's, I... I like to see data and the data to back it up, but I have way more questions. I have just as many questions unanswered than answered after reading that adjustment to their reviewing system. But, you know, give it another eight months and they'll probably change it again. <laughs> yeah, or they'll keep, quote unquote, <laughs> tweaking it, you know. Right. Um, so maybe the theme for this podcast will be, don't mess with the man. So, okay. oh, yeah. I, right. So I, I like the story because we were just talking about Steam and Valve, and you know. So now we're, the next story I want to talk about was actually a really neat one-off piece that uh, Kotaku did, um, and it was called "Let Him Fix It." And it was basically the idea was that it was this guy in New York City uh, is working as like an independent video game repair guy. So mm -hmm. this actually hits pretty close to home because I used to work with Jim from Video Game Repair when he would repair consoles here locally in town. And then, obviously, I own a game store, and, and he's working for these game stores. And the idea is that right now, to fix consoles, you pretty much have to go on eBay, buy Chinese parts, or somehow find broken stuff that isn't broken in the way that yours yeah. is broken. <laughs> then then strip those parts out, essentially almost like a junkyard, like we're a car, you know, a car junkyard. So oh, you, have to, yeah. you have to strip out the parts you need. And then you repair the console using YouTube tutorials, whatever information you could find on the internet of somebody who's already done it successfully. Well, apparently, there's laws in like eight states that are trying to pass, which basically are trying to make it a law where companies have to reveal official design schematics and have to, and this is the part that's the kicker, and have to sell official licensed parts to like registered repair places. So at first you think about that, you're like, well, wait a minute. So the, these these people want the government to come in and require a business, make Sony 
release official documentation so they can make it easier to fix their stuff. And then they want them to actually release the official parts to fix it that are for sale so people can officially fix your equipment. So when I first read this, I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't like government controlling business to that extent, like making a business do something. Now, obviously, um, having my own business, I obviously prefer as few roadblocks as possible. But as we all know, you have to have certain roadblocks. Like you can't just dump all your toxic waste into the river. You know, <laughs> that's, that's against the law. You can't do that because at some point someone said it's a lot cheaper just to dump this crap in the river than to pay all these thousands and millions of dollars to this company to put it on a truck and drive it to a safe way to get rid of it. So let's just dump it in the river. And then someone's like, well, hey, I live down the river. So I'd appreciate it if you didn't dump your crap in the river. And then laws were passed and that's how things change. Um, so with this, though, I'm a little bothered by that. But apparently the rule came from um, the automotive industry since we made that connection earlier. Right. Mm -hmm. So apparently. Uh, it, there was a time when say Ford, for instance, wouldn't reveal how their cars worked or the uh, release official parts that were made. So you had to have your car fixed at an official Ford dealership and they controlled the pricing. And that creates essentially what a monopoly. Exactly. And so that's, you're essentially, you have, the, that's what they call something that's like anti-consumer laws. So that's anti-consumer where you're basically making a product that can only be fixed at one place mm. and you have to take it there and you have to pay their prices. And here's what's interesting though, because this repair guy, I'm assuming it's a guy because I think they say that it is. Well, his, um, his, uh, he only wanted to be identified by his PlayStation username, which is gorilla, gorilla stomp, gorilla stomp. But he's been working in this independent video game console repair industry for about eight years but he's been fixing out of warranty consoles so even if somebody was able to get in touch with somebody at sony and say hey i've got this i don't know what's like the oldest sony it's like system. a playstation 2 a playstation 2 it's not in, uh, in warranty and they won't fix it because sometimes for example like at work we used to use this external software but we didn't upgrade it and we didn't upgrade it for so long that they, uh, the company that owned the software said, well, we can't support you anymore because we don't, your, the version you have is so out of date mm -hmm. that we cannot support you. So if something goes wrong, you're kind of out of luck. And that's a scary sort of thing. And people don't want to hear that, especially a, a business doesn't want to hear that, you know, something goes wrong, whatever that might be, that it, you won't be able to retrieve your data or anything like that. So a system, probably it's, it's on a very smaller, it's on a much smaller scale, but still some companies are like, we don't even want to touch that. Like we don't have those parts anymore, or we won't fix it because we don't support that or whatever it might be because the technology is so out of date. I try to get somebody to fix an Atari. Right. You can't get somebody to fix an Atari. Well, oftentimes it's, it's a cost to fix versus a cost to replace sort of thing. So like you could probably buy disc drive for a PS2. And if you had someone repair it for you, it's going to take them an hour. Maybe they're going to charge you 15, 20 bucks. They're going to buy the part labor and all that stuff. You're going to pay 35, 40 bucks to have your PS2 fixed. Well, that's about what they sell for, 40 to 50 bucks. So why would you pay to have your own fix unless it had some sort of sentimental value to it? Well, not only that, but we we are in a culture right now of disposability. I don't know if that's mm. a real word, 
but it's you know when when your tv broke in the 60s you took it to a tv repair repair place when you, the sole was coming off your shoe you took it to a shoe mm, a shoe okay. repair guy i like where you're going with this so it's not it i don't think it's a it's a bad thing to have a repair shop that specializes in things when i wanted to like i have my mom's old sewing machine i mean the things from the 1970s but there's a guy in green bay that does uh sewing machine services like he start he yeah i took it in he did a whole like tune-up on it a whole overhaul he also repairs vacuum cleaners which i don't understand how they're the same right but it's it's to, you know, prevent that thing from going to a landfill and just clogging up the... That makes a lot of sense because I, I was just thinking this the other day because my printer is running out of ink at the store. Mm-hmm. And then I get an email from Best Buy that a new printer is on sale right now for like 40 bucks. It's essentially cheaper to get a printer that's going to come with the ink cartridges than to buy new ink cartridges. Oh, seriously? It really is. Like, it's crazy. To, oh, it's it's so, crazy sounding. So then I would just junk my old one mm-hmm. and then get a new one. But that's horribly wasteful, and we're just <laughs> filling up landfills with that junk. But it's really like that. It, it's so strange, and obviously they they make things nowadays necessarily not to last. You no, know, it's it, very true. They, Everything has like plastic parts yeah. or things that aren't meant to last forever. I mean, like I said, my mom's sewing machine is completely made of like cast iron and metal and, right. and parts, and there's very few plastic parts, and I had another sewing machine and it was made of entirely plastic. So that sewing machine didn't last, but that's the, like my mom's old sewing machine has lasted since the seventies. Yeah. It's it's insane. Well, it's, it's kind of the same thing with like old mixers and old appliances and stuff like that. Like the newer stuff just doesn't last. And so I'm looking at this and I, I, so initially I don't like the idea of a company being forced to do that. I think it would be in Sony's best interest to manufacture parts like that, though, and sell them. Like some of like the if, if ninety, you... like the most common things that can go yeah. wrong, like the pins on the NES. Exactly, you can buy those. Yeah, I well, I can buy Chinese knockoffs, but I can't get official ones from Nintendo, which would be amazing if mm-hmm. we could somehow get the original run. Even though I guess those technically wore out right away, so maybe that wouldn't be that great. But, but you know, but I mean, you're able to buy parts. You know, it would be a better experience to to have somebody come into your store and say, you know, the pins on my Nintendo are whatever corroded. I don't know what happens to them. They get bent, right? Yep, yep, they just get bent, yeah. And you say, yeah, we can totally repair that. It's going to be this much. And they're official Nintendo parts. Now, as a consumer, I like that. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, if I come to you, on you know in an, in another alternate universe and i say my the pins on my nes are bent and corroded and whatever and you say yep i can fix that i got some chinese parts and back <laughs> yeah it makes you not very confident in that repair well and like even if they do it like i i buy through a lot of wholesalers for my business and you wholesalers you could typically only buy from if you're a business that's how right. they're set up so the, like like the average customer can't just go there and get stuff at a cheaper price well, Sony could do the same thing or Microsoft, whoever they could do the same thing where they set up like a back end like that, where they have a, a wholesale site for repair parts and you have to prove to them that you're an official, mm-hmm. you have a business set up and you have your business ID and tax ID and all that sort of stuff. 
And if you set all that up, I don't see why they wouldn't do that. And it just seems like that'd be another way for them to make money. Well, so you know, off still of these making, old parts. And yeah. then, and then, you know, because there's something to be said for the brand. I mean, say if people are still playing PS2, then the games, they well, yeah, I mean, but like the games, like say they played Metal Gear on PS2. Well, then they might want to play Metal Gear on PS3 eventually, and then maybe on PS4. Like you're 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 building a brand and you're building a, a brand loyalty. Uh, but clearly, it's in the console maker's best interest to get people to adopt their new system so they can make money off the new hardware. So, like, it's in their best interest to but what to if, get people to buy a PS4 than to have someone repair their PS2, which they aren't selling any games for. Well, be that as it may, though, they they still have the opportunity to make money if they sell the parts. So if I if I as a Sony executive get a report and say, you know, the top five most common parts to go on a PlayStation 2 are the are these, you know, and I don't know what I, I I've never looked inside mm-hmm. of a PlayStation. You know, maybe it's the eject button or the the eye of the the disc reader or, you know, what have you the latch to to well I have a mm. slim, so Mine, mine opens the, the up form. really nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like the little latch part, or you know, part of the casing, like maybe the bottom piece of the casing, and just manufacture those and sell them to people, like you said, wholesale. Because Mister Gorilla Stomp here is gonna buy a case of those and keep them in his store and say these are official PlayStation parts right and from that could, sony and that could be an advertising shtick too and be like hey we only repair with authorized official parts or something yeah. it makes him look good it makes sony look good it it makes good business sense in my opinion because even though they're not they're not manufacturing playstation 2 games they still have a customer sure and if they sell the parts to fix the machine Sony's still getting money for that. Where I know they're not getting any money for the games, but they're getting money for the parts when people sure. want to fix it. Well, so I just thought of this. So let's say, for instance, a company like Sega made Sega. the Sega Genesis, and they don't make hardware anymore. In fact, they never actually made the hardware. They had everything licensed out. Now, Sony is a hardware manufacturer, so mm-hmm. they've got production, all that sort of stuff. So I don't know how the laws are written, but what if the laws would say, does Sega have to go back and no, get parts for old discontinued hardware? Because they're still around as a company. They're just not making hardware anymore. But that No, here's what they do. They oh, okay. sell that to a company and then they have the license to produce the parts. Okay, that Sell makes it to sense. Sony for all I care. But if they don't have that piece of business, they sell that off and they say, we're going to go to the highest bidder. Who wants to make money on Genesis manufacturing on official those parts. Genesis parts? Interesting. And you know, make sure that people are aware these are officially licensed Sega parts, even though they're not manufactured by Sega. That's how you do it. So they just sell that contract off to somebody else. Hmm. Well, it looks like the only people that are really opposed to this um, are it, it's it's Chinese from, vendors. It's well, <laughs> they, they they definitely them. But it's the uh, Entertainment Software Association. That's the ESA. That's the company that came up with like the ESRB log like rating system, I believe. And then uh, they do the E3 every year. Like they host that. Mm-hmm. So like they put it on. Basically, they're like, I guess the best way to think of it is they're almost like a union representative for the video game industry. They're a lobbyist for the video game industry. So like you could argue that the NRA 
is lobbying for gun laws, hmm. um, anti-gun laws, whatever. Uh, and then you've got the ESA would be lobbying to do everything in their power to make what's best for the video game industry in their mind. You just have to wonder, like, at what point does it become a monopoly? You know, I don't know much about how that works when you talk about, like, businesses creating a monopoly. The only real experience I have is playing the game Monopoly, which I don't think really has anything to do <laughs> with Monopoly. It literally has nothing to do with monopolies. <laughs> I know you buy houses, and they're they're getting rid of I all guess, the good tokens now. I guess <laughs> you could argue that in the board game Monopoly, you don't, when you own a property, you're the only person who can own a property on there, so you set the prices by building your houses and your hotels on it but that's such a stretch for for the definition of monopolies i don't think i've ever actually finished a game of monopoly because i think somebody just gets mad and quits that's usually 90 percent of games end in somebody <laughs> rage quitting because someone lands in a property they can't afford no one likes to mortgage their properties so you, you basically say hey will you give me a free pass this time and i'll give you two free passes and they say nope you're out of the game and then you're like we're supposed to be brothers and then you throw your piece at him it hits him in the head he gets you know cut on his forehead then you get yelled at because you know you're the jerk not that i have any sort of experience personally speaking that it sounds like you've experienced this exact thing we're supposed to be brothers we're supposed to be brothers um it's a hard lesson to learn that there's no family in business. <laughs> That's right. It's it's, uh, it's it's not personal. It's money. It's, it's uh, business. So business. the ESA's main complaint is that they say that if this, if the manufacturer, if the hardware manufacturers have to give up their schematics and like their, their, you know, their documentation on the product, that that documentation could be used to, in their words, uh, let's see what it says here, to sidestep consoles, digital protection assets. So they're worried about piracy and things like that. Like if someone figured out how the PS2 hardware worked, mm. they could make a device that would allow you to play burned games or something. That's essentially their argument, which... Aren't people doing that kind of stuff anyway? All you have to do is take it apart. Much. And if you understand, well, I mean, I think it would be very advanced circuitry and electronics and all of that. If you understood it enough, you can make a machine do pretty much anything you well, want. And I think, you know, on legacy consoles, like we we're talking about the Sega Genesis, that wouldn't matter. But say they had to do that with the PlayStation 4 right now. So you've got a system that's a couple years old, and now you're going to have people that are able to completely talk about how it works. Maybe they can, you know, somehow get into the BIOS, flash the BIOS, get, you know, whatever they want to do, like they could make it work. Maybe because the hackers are crazy. Like, like the modders and the, 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 the hacking and modding scene for those consoles is just ridiculous. I think it's more it's not if for from my perspective when i envision what these sort of manuals would look like is it's really just if you opened the case of of a game system and looked inside and every screw every little plastic piece is accounted for not what's on the circuitry you know, what's on the the motherboard if a mother I, I would imagine a motherboard exists in a game system. Yeah, Again, absolutely. I wasn't my brother was the one that took things apart. Like that's why my parents <laughs> bought him a clear radio so he wouldn't take it apart. <laughs> so you just see what was in it. Yeah, just here, look, you can see through it. You don't have to take it apart. <laughs> I think he did anyway. Maybe he can tell me if I'm wrong. But uh it's 
I just, I just don't understand because for me, it would be if I needed this piece of circuit board in the system, I would buy the complete circuit board, not all the little diodes and, and I I don't need to like solder it onto there or whatever. I would buy the complete circuit board for that part. Like that's what I imagine, not. Hey, on this circuit board, it's this, 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 and this. It's essentially if you were to dismantle an entire system piece by piece and like and, and put it in a box, you'd have what you would get at IKEA. Like that's what I'm envisioning. You get a box full of parts, not really detailed schematics of how those circuit boards work or the data that's on them. Because I wouldn't at least, and maybe I could be wrong, but I would expect it to be more like, you know, buy your parts and put it together. You don't, you're not soldering things. Right. Well, the, the tough, the tough part though, too, is I had assume a lot of this manufacturing is long gone. So what if it was, what if the boards were manufactured in some Chinese plant 20 years ago? Maybe I mean, they don't sell the circuit board y- stuff. Y- Maybe it's all just parts. Just parts, like they'd have to define. So obviously, it's a it's a muddy issue, clearly. Mm-hmm. But what I I think what a lot of people complain about is the repair system doesn't work great. Like when you send it in, say a PS4 to Sony, the way it works right now, a lot of people don't know this is you send your console into them, they throw it like in the queue to be repaired, and they just ship you a new one, one that's already been repaired. Oh, really? They don't send you the same system back, which at first you're like, who really cares? Except the problem is all that stuff you have saved in the hard drive, that's all gone. You don't get any of that back. You can obviously re-download any games you had paid for, but it's kind of a pain. And they do that for speed, obviously, because they want you to have your system faster. If they actually repaired yours, it would probably take two months to get a system back. Which is why it's so great that you've got these independent people. I think, And I think independent repair is a big thing. And it's not like it's that big a deal to them. Because they're typically fixing things within warranty and outside of warranty, it's about the same price. And they offer, like, if I had a choice to pay the same to have someone fix it locally or to send it to Sony, I'd probably still send it away because I'd rather have Sony fix it than someone who I don't know. But, you know, I, I'm always for like any avenue that allows a small business to show up. And I, and I love this. Um, and I love what they're doing. And I think fixing systems is good. But like, I'm reading this article and they're talking about how, oh, PS, he had to fix a PSP. Like, well, who's getting a PSP fixed? Because what price can you really do a PSP for when you, I mean, we sell them used for like 40 bucks. That's like so. when we were at that game store in Stevens Point and the kid had cracked the the, the DS, DS. Yep, yep. and the, the girl at the counter who was working, I think she was the only one there. Um, not that that matters, but she said that all of the repairs that, well, mo- the majority of the repairs that people ask for, they have to send right. out. And then they found out that he this is this is i just have to sidestep a little bit and tell the story because it was just too funny i don't know if you've heard it all but so this little boy he couldn't have been more than what 10 or 11 he was around there yeah and uh he had the had the ds and the dad i'm assuming it was a, a father figure came into this store while we were kind of browsing around and he 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 says well you know he broke he broke the hinge on the ds like it it won't stay together and i'm I'm guessing there's probably a ribbon strip that yeah has hardware and stuff because of the the way that the screens work you know there's not much in the top part it all kind of comes from the bottom that you hold Mm -hmm. and (laughs) 
He's like, well, you know, okay, so they're explaining what happened. And she's like, well, yeah, we have to send it out. It's going to be about $50. And the kid was like, oh. And then the the dad said something to the effect of, well, that's why you shouldn't break break <laughs> your systems. And then he was very adamant that he didn't break it. He said, I did hear that. <laughs> I, he's like, I went, I went, I set it down on the couch, and I went to go get a snack. And when I came back, it was broken. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm like, yeah, I heard that, what? and I was I was surprised that like the dad didn't have anything else to say. <laughs> no, he was because like, I looked like, at him and said, "Oh, okay, so it just magically got broke, right?" That's what I would have said. I'm like, "You're not gonna follow up with this kid," <laughs> but it was just like I went to go get a snack, and when I came back, it was broken. Oh. I'm like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> the kid, kid's got a future in politics. Oh my gosh. So, lastly, talking about this, so I found this a little funny because the. Gr- Gorilla Stomp, you know, the guy who was doing the repairs, they interviewed him and they went through this whole thing. Well, so he had a quote and his quote was, America was founded on pioneer spirit. The government needs to leave people alone, (laughs) (laughs) which I mean, I don't know. I'm not laughing at him. I think that that's he's he's got the drive. I mean, he he is fixing systems left right and center he he runs his own business and he's frustrated you know right well the only reason i I joke about it is because the government's trying to actually step in and help him (laughs) (laughs) so he's like i i wish they the government would stay out of my business even though if they stay out of your business that's what's causing you the headaches you have right now like you 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 should be saying normally i want the government to stay out of people's business but if they help me here then i'm okay with it because that's yeah. essentially what he wants done. But it's just kind of funny to me because, you I, know. I guess from my purpose, for my for my purposes, I understand where the companies that make consoles are coming from. That they want somebody to send in their machine to Sony, for example, and Sony repairs it and sends it back or sends back the same system, not necessarily yours. Um. I get that. And I and I think that that's that's great that they want to keep that business within their own business. But if they don't support fixing those systems anymore, then they should offer those parts. See, I think if 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 the companies were smart what they would do to avoid this whole thing is for anything that's considered a legacy console, yeah. so something that doesn't have new hardware anymore like mm-hmm. even up to the PS3, let's you know, continue using Sony as the example. Why don't they just release it for the PS3 and down? That's what I mean. Like, like all they have to do is release the the hardware, like designs, and then people could three D print their own parts. Even factories in China could still make the drives. Even if Sony doesn't make money off that, that would be smart on Sony's part to say, "Look, let's get ahead of it mm-hmm. because this becomes a law. It's going to cause us a huge headache. But if we do this, it might be the middle ground that everyone's willing to work for." I I think they just need to understand that you know there are businesses that are that are helping them by keeping those systems from going in a landfill and, and have people still use them. Because like you said, you know, they play PlayStation two. Now they might, they might eventually buy a PlayStation three or a PlayStation four. Exactly. And you, you, anytime your business is in a positive light, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. So get yourself a positive mental image and get out there and be happy with it. Exactly. There you go. So Jen, yeah, you play world of Warcraft. I do. I play world of Warcraft. Yes. 
don't mess with Blizzard no. and their money, apparently. No. Not that we didn't already know this, but just in case you didn't. No, because what happened was recently they've taken a little bit of action against some of the top players of the top guilds that exist for World of Warcraft. So when, when we talk about top players and top guilds, basically we're talking guilds that either clear everything in the game first uh, and they are the top, like they have the either the most players or the highest geared players. These are people who are like basically doing, because there's guilds that actually race each other to be the first guild to like beat certain bosses and to get uploaded and to get like special achievements and stuff like that. So these are these are people that do not mess around. These are not casual by any stretch. These are hardcore players. They probably play six to eight hours a day. They're not noobs. They're they're not noobs like us. Plebs. They're not. They're not stinking plebs. Well, here's but, what was. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just say, but check this out, Jen. <laughs> yeah. So, so Blizzard has banned a bunch of players for trading dungeon runs for cash. Now we're not talking in-game cash. We're talking cash. This cash. is cash money. Cold hard cash. Now, a- according to Blizzard, that is completely unacceptable. You're not supposed to use real money in any way. You can use your real money to buy in-game money. But no, you're not allowed to use real money transactions, especially because you ran some people through dungeons. Right. So (laughs) the idea is someone who has not a lot of time but has money wants to get all the achievements and the armor sets and all the special mounts and all this other sort of stuff. So they go to these top rating guilds and they say, "Hey, I'll give you. I don't even know. I don't have Let's any say examples. 100 bucks. Say a hundred bucks. We don't know. We'll give. We'll give you a hundred bucks to run me through this dungeon, and they'll do it. And then, and apparently, up until this ban came, there were a whole bunch of communication that this was in clear violation of the terms in use. They made it mm-hmm. very clear that this was not allowed and they should not be doing it. And there were some people that were very, um, I guess, bragging or very." very outspoken about the fact that they were doing it and weren't getting in trouble for it. And so Blizzard decided to come in and say, okay. And then they just, they swung the old ban hammer and -hmm. they took a few people out and the people they took out, uh, apparently, like I said, were making it very obvious. Like they weren't even trying to hide it. It wasn't whatever. And Blizzard says that they know that it's a bigger issue, but they made, they wanted to send a very specific message to, that anybody that no one is safe so they didn't go after the mid-level people no they went right after the top player and said look we don't care if you're a top player on a top guild we don't care if you play our game you know 80 hours a week you will not violate our terms of use or you will be banned i mean they they ban people that probably have hundreds to thousands of hours on their characters mm-hmm. and according to the global community engagement manager how's that well, that's, a, that's an uh, official that's a, title that's a Blizzard. title his name is uh josh allen i think his nickname is lore according to how this is written i want i want that job <laughs> i know right it says as some players have pointed out this is a quote from something that uh was written by by josh allen we were indeed very conservative with this initial round of actions and only issued penalties to a handful of the most egregious offenders who had blatantly and openly violated our terms of service. Mm. These are meant to serve as a warning to all players who participate in such activities as we intend for future actions to be much more comprehensive and the punishment much more severe. So, whoo! Shots fired. Yeah, they're not messing around. And I I like this. I, I think that Blizzard has done so much 
and made so many strides over the last six, seven years to make it easier for people to find groups, to go through dungeons, all, you know, all of that. You know, I remember back when I was playing initially in 2006, 2007, trying to find enough people be like looking for healer, looking for tank, looking for DPS. And it was like pulling teeth trying to find people in order for you to run through a raid or run through a dungeon or any of that kind of stuff. Now you go and you click, 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 and you put yourself in a list and then you get paired up with people. They make it so easy. So I don't understand how these people who are paying the top guilds to run them through things, how they're not able to find those people on their own and get it done for free. Well, a lot of the, a lot of the realm finder or a lot of the, um, looking for group stuff you can't do all raids you can't do all difficulties of all raids some stuff you have to manually still put together like the old-fashioned way that's how blizzard kind of designed it and they they structure the dungeons a little bit differently so and the typically the players that are doing this are doing it for mounts achievements and like armor sets those fat cheeves the fat cheeves as we talk about and i can understand that too i mean we did our own kind of grinding of dungeons in order for the both of us to get those really cool mounts um that i got well you got one and i got the other that's right um well and i was mad because we're like let's split up and then you get it the very next dungeon you run through (laughs) but it was it was efficiently speaking that was the way to do it yeah i yeah i get that but then it locked me out anyway but then it locked you out of the dungeon because we found it yeah you find the (laughs) shortcut to get to that one guy that's gonna drop the mount sometime and then yeah anyway i mean you're, you are, you're right. I mean, it isn't for all raids. It isn't for all dungeons or all difficulties. So it makes me question why Blizzard doesn't do that kind of thing to make, to curb this. Be, why not let you queue for any dungeon at any difficulty or any raid at any difficulty? I just don't see what why they wouldn't do it that way because you're already giving them most of them Mm -hmm. so just do it for all of them because then you prevent this kind of thing from happening and then you know the people who aren't good i mean people aren't good at finding groups anymore because they've given us that functionality it's it's different because you know you used to have a guild and the only way you could do raids is if you were in a guild because guild guild members or guild raid leaders didn't want to take people that weren't in the guild because then that wouldn't help the rest of their guild. Right. So a lot of times, like when we were when we were originally doing forty mans with uh, True Grave back in the day, we we were True Grave, and then we had to team up with another guild named Dark Legion, and that's how we were able to get forty people together. But most of the time, if you were a single player and you'd be like, "Hey, can I get into your raid? I'm really well geared. Know what I'm doing? Uh, no, we're taking all guildies." And sometimes, if you got lucky, you could buy your way into the runs with gold mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, and like, for instance, I remember there was something that was like a special weapon that Joe wanted to get for his warrior. And it was something like he had to, he had to do a quest to finish it. And the quest was going into like a raid boss that we'd never gotten to. So he was lucky enough and got somehow pulled in because he knew somebody who got into a high end raiding guild and he got pulled to that. And even those people were complaining about it, like him being in there, just coming along for that one part of the raid. I mean, now they've got the blizzard, uh, where you're the voice, I what. Like I know what it's, chat. yeah, I know what it's called. We would use, uh, what was the, uh, the, um, 
before we had that you remember like back then like what you would use for oh voice like chat? like ventrilo yeah ventrilo there we go i was like vent i was like yep. that's not that's not vent. exactly it there's more to it <laughs> it was it was but you, you know now you don't have to pay a subscription to vent to have multiple channels you just use blizzard chat i mean they make it so easy to connect with people it's almost stupidly easy so i don't understand how and again i'm not one of those top level raiders i think raiding in a party of people you don't know is horrible i hate it mm -hmm. so i don't do it <laughs> i would much rather do the side quests and all of that you know main story quests instead of being a part of a group that i didn't know because i don't know the that person's strength i don't know you know what makes that other person mad you know? yeah well typically like I was doing this when we were starting to raid like Nighthold. I went in a couple Nightholds by myself with with random people because I wanted to learn the fights before doing it with the guildies, right? So you go in there though, and like I'm always worried if I screw up, they're gonna make fun of me or that my damage isn't high enough. Like I'm I'm anxious the whole time I'm in there mm -hmm. because I'm like I feel like because it's it's not my friends, they're not gonna be nice to me if I screw up. Like right. when I go with with Joe and Mike and those guys, like if we make a mistake, it's fine. Well, that's that's why I don't mind. Or that's why I don't like doing dungeons or anything like that with people I don't know because I like like you I feel just on edge the entire time. Mm -hmm. Well, here's an interesting thought too. So back in the day, players could power level you. You would pay people to power level you. Now again, it was in-game currency for the most part. Didn't you just you like know? follow like behind them while they went through dungeons and you picked pretty all the stuff up? Because I may have done that yeah. back in 2007. <laughs> and, and there were or like people would take you to the higher level zones and you would just stand mm -hmm. there getting experience while they killed stuff, you know, yep. and whatever. You know, and then eventually, though, Blizzard came out with a level 60 or a level, you know, max level boost. You can pay 60 bucks to get a max level character now. Uh, or a level 100 character and but then you max have, up in Legion. So, you're, oh, but, but I here's think I know the thing. where you're going with this. What if they're planning some sort of dungeon boost or maybe they're going to start selling armor sets or something so maybe they're trying to clear the path and again this is totally a tangent i don't actually know if this would happen i'm not saying it will i'm just saying what if one day blizzard's like well we're going to now sell an achievement set if you want all the achievements to do this you can you know pay 60 bucks and you can basically get any gear set you want from any of the dungeons you want i don't know if they're they would do that i mean they do the pets and the mounts and everything and they do the hundred level boost now, but it's it's more it vanity. It's vanity, right? And it is different. And that's I mean I don't really believe that that will happen, but it's just funny how as long as like Blizzard gets rid of things right before they themselves monetize mm. it. Well, you know, and it's it's very like I said before. It it's vanity. It's a vanity aspect. That's why now they have the you can apply a look to a piece of armor or a weapon of something you've already gotten because you get this better piece of armor and you don't you don't like how it looks with all the rest of your armor so you can apply that skin almost to whatever that piece of equipment is because you want it to all match it was right. it's like that meme where the guys got like all like viking and knight gear but he has a hello kitty shield yep <laughs> and it was something like the yeah. caption of like 
when it doesn't fit your look, but it's way better than what yeah. you had. And it's the same kind of thing. It's all about vanity. Yeah, the transmog system was was awesome and wow, because then you could look however you wanted to look right. and not have it affect your stats. No, that was great. But I think that when it comes to actual gameplay, I think the level boost is really all that they would ever go towards. Just because the achievement in and of itself, the name achievement, means something that you do. Yeah, that's very that's that's very fair to say. I just I feel like though you never would have thought in the first four or five years of while that you'd be able to pay to have your character leveled for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's almost like what what could what can WoW do in five more years but that we never would have seen coming? Here's the problem with the level boost, especially if you're a new player, and I think that you would agree with me on this. I know where you're going, and I already do, but hit me with it. <laughs> so let's say you're you know you're 20, you're 21 years old, you've never played WoW, you like video games, you're aware of how video games work. I like to think I do. And you go and you buy a copy of World of Warcraft and you see, oh, I can get a hundred level boost. Now you're level 100 and you have no idea, no idea what to do. how to play. None. That's why when I bought the Legion upgrade or expansion pack, I guess it was. When I bought the Legion expansion, I got to be a, what was it? Not Demon a Hunter. Death, Demon Hunter. Demon Hunter. I was like, not a Death Knight. That was the one before. Um, or the one before the one before. A couple before. It was, it was a couple before. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't um, I don't like playing my Demon Hunter because I don't know how to play it. I didn't grow with yes. that character and grow with those abilities. Now I just button mash, whereas with my Rogue, I have a lot more finesse. I have a cycle of of abilities that i run through because i hit one ability and while that's in cooldown i can do this one and this one and by the time that those two are going through their cooldown i can do my other one again and it, like it's just very it's a very finesse kind of mm -hmm. uh order of operation whereas with my demon hunter i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> i think it's also the experience yeah so like you 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 get the experience of leveling a character from 1 to 100 you learn that character inside and out you know obviously with the demon hunter you can't do that because you just start off at level 100 because that's the or level 98 or whatever because that's the storyline you missed the whole storyline before with yeah. cataclysm and mr pandaria and all of that but the uh, but the idea you know is still the same like you you're getting basically a crash course in how to play your class and, you know, I had oh, oh, many, many years ago, I bought an account from somebody that had like a maxed out druid and a maxed out paladin on it. Mm -hmm. I always wanted those, but I never had them. Sure. And so I was like, well, I'll buy this account because it kind of has exactly the class I always wanted, but never had. I never got a feel for those classes. No, you have absolutely no connection. Yeah, I, I, I played a little bit of one here and there. Like I would play them and I would raid with them and try to heal and stuff. I'm like, I just, I don't have the foundation of knowledge to play this. As to where my warlock, like I've just. I've got. I've played it so much that I started from nothing with him to where he is now, and I've seen all the changes of the class and everything. It's like starting a D and D campaign. You know, you you get to know your character. You write a backstory. Not that people write backstories for you know their World of Warcraft characters, but I did. <laughs> Why am I not surprised you did? <laughs> I actually my capstone project for my degree in uh, multimedia in digital media was a machinima project which was like the origin of one of my warcraft ah, characters and neat. i so i recorded footage of me in world of warcraft <laughs> edited a whole movie and everything it was pretty freaking yeah cool. you keep telling me about this but i have yet to see it i don't even know where it is i don't mm. think i have a physical copy of it anymore i didn't put it on youtube or anything it was just a movie file 
it's just lost. I thought about doing another one, but, you know. But anyway, where I was going with that is that when you play D&D, you grow with your character. You level up, you gain new abilities, skill points, and all of that. And you really understand your character because you've gone through all the trials of trying to succeed in yeah. that environment. And it's the same thing with starting from level one with the character in World of Warcraft. The storyline's great. They give you a crap ton of experience where didn't Jer get from like one to 60 in like a weekend? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like it gets way faster than it used to be. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it used to be a huge undertaking to get to level. Like I made it back in 2007 when I was playing to like level 55, but that took me forever. And then when we started playing again, I got to level 55 within a couple months, if not sooner than that mm -hmm. <laughs> like what well what was i doing the whole time i was playing because i felt like i played a whole heck of a lot of world of warcraft way back then yeah and you did you just didn't get a lot of experience yeah, it took for a it. lot longer to do everything mm -hmm. but but so i do find that interesting though so so blizzard basically said we don't care that you people are paying us a monthly fee we don't like what you're doing and they banned them yeah i don't and i don't blame them one bit no, I think you. I think you have to because that sort of stuff can get out of hand real quick. Yeah. And then what separates you from the Chinese MMO where you just have gold farmers running amok and oh all you ha and all you have is yes. bots everywhere. I mean, you don't know. And Blizzard already has a problem with that. MMOs already have problems with that. You have to stop what you can stop when you can, because if you just let it go, um, you know, like just, it just off the ch yeah. you know off the leash, then you're going to start losing customers because they don't want to play a game where they don't have to work hard to achieve things. Like there's quite the science behind the risk and reward and the payoff system with a game like world of Warcraft. It has to, you have to work hard enough to make it worth it, to make you do the work to play long enough to do it, but you have to give enough of a reward for them to say it was worth it. I want to do it again. Right. And so like there's, and, and you've seen Warcraft is a great example of how MMOs have changed over the years because it was, it was always in the beginning, a much more, better experience like more fulfilling experience than other mmos were but now how quickly you can do things the dungeon finder mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff was never in the game originally but had to change because the people who were playing the game were changing their attention spans were shorter you know and so they had to adapt and change and, well, and make it worth it i don't know if it's really like with the dungeon finder if it's really uh, an attention span sort of thing it's more you know, I unsubscribe to a lot of the channel chats. So for me, I never see when people are looking for groups. Or if I go to a new area and it changes that channel, I don't see it because I just unsubscribe to all of it. But if I want to queue for a dungeon, I don't want to try to spend an hour looking for somebody right. who wants to do that dungeon too. So I think it's more of a convenience thing as a, at least in terms sure. of the dungeon fighter, I would agree with the leveling up thing. It is a little bit more attention span driven because people, if it takes them forever to gain a level, they get frustrated because it's like, I keep, I feel like I'm doing a lot of things. I'm killing a lot of mm -hmm. kobolds and nothing's happening. <laughs> well, Do they have kobolds? Yeah, they have kobolds. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I was thinking Murlocs. That's really what I wanted to say, oh. but I couldn't think of it quick well, that's enough. That's good too. Murlocs and Kobolds. So lastly, everybody, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Switch and Legend of Zelda again. Yeah. Because as time goes on, this is kind of like a running review. Think of it that way. Like 
things are changing and my, my thoughts and, and everything on Zelda, but on the switch as well, um, are evolving and are changing as, as weeks go on. So I want to kind of give you an update on the switch and stuff. So, uh, all we've been playing on the switch is legend of Zelda breath mm-hmm. of the wild. Well, you played it on the go. I did yesterday. Mm-hmm. And that was nice. How, how was the go experience? Like, did you feel the screen was nice? It was playable. Well, it was quite sunny when I was playing and I did notice that it, it's like uh, the average smartphone, which will do auto brightness. Oh, okay. But with the direct sunlight kind of being on it, it was a little bit difficult to see some of the finer nuances. I think if you're going to play on the go and you're playing in a car, if you have some sort of sunshade um, apparatus that will block some of that sunlight, it would have been a better experience. Um, or if I would have been playing at night, but playing in the broad daylight of like nine o'clock was, was kind of difficult. It was to hard see. to see the screen. Okay. But the battery lasted. Um, it, I was at like 60% after about two hours, and 15 minutes, I think about Which that. Which isn't too bad because we, we know it's supposed to be three to four hours for yeah. playing Zelda on the switch, which for a handheld you feel like isn't very long, but it is like a tablet handheld essentially, and it's a it's a video game console. So, and I didn't have to bring uh, anything. Well, we did. We brought the the external charger thing. That yeah, we, we ended up not it, using. But we it, didn't but... have to use it. Um, other than that, it was really comfortable. I didn't feel like it was really heavy, but it didn't feel like it was light and cheap. You know what I mean? Like it had a good yeah. weight to it. So what I would say is, uh, I, my feelings on Zelda, I don't know if I said this last week, I don't think so, but I originally I originally started playing Horizon Zero Dawn, which is very fun. And then when Zelda came out, I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play Zelda first, because I don't think it's going to be as good as Horizon. <laughs> and I want to play Horizon after Zelda, because I don't want the better game to diminish the other game. As I've been playing Legend of Zelda, I have to tell you guys, it's a must-play game. It is by far the best 3D Zelda game they've ever made. Whoa. By far. I mean, it's not even close. Like, it blows away Ocarina of Time. I know, and that's everyone's favorite. It blows away Wind Waker. It blows away Twilight Princess. So, and when I'm done with this game, I'll let you know if I actually think it's the best Zelda game ever made. But I have a feeling it's going to be, if not, it's going to be very close, if not the best. And I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to be the best. I'm just trying to reserve judgment until I'm finished. <laughs> but uh, the game itself is fantastic. You have to play it. If you have a Wii U and you don't want to buy a Switch, buy it on the Wii U. And play it there because the game's just as fine there. The game itself is amazing. However, the Switch. I can't recommend right now necessarily that the Switch is a good purchase for anybody. Now, if you don't have a Wii U and you desperately want to play Zelda, get a Switch. That's the best reason to get a Switch is to play Legend of Zelda. But if you have another way to play it, that's how I would recommend playing that game. If you don't need it to play Zelda... I don't know what else you would use the Switch for. Well, especially right now because their their release their game <sighs> game day no their release day games. Mm-hmm. Wow, that order of those those words was really difficult to <laughs> send. The the release day games very 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 minimal five games I think five or six, but majority of them not long running games. Right. And and there's some fun stuff there. Like Snipper Clips is a neat little like two player co-op it game. It looks cute. It looks cute. Um Bomberman 
looks fun for a multiplayer game, but it's $50 and it's Bomberman, which you've played roughly 10,000 times on other consoles. Mm-hmm. And then you've got like um, Fast RMX, uh, which is like a F-Zero type racer. And it's really fun. It's a $20 downloadable game. Okay, that's it. I mean, that's really it. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one, two switch, but that's like your Wii Sports, which is fun for like 10 minutes which with some friends. Which should have been included. Which should have been included, but it wasn't. Even if it was a demo of that game, give us one of the mini games for free I'm for so crying out loud. I'm so surprised that that thing was not loaded with a demo or did not come with a free game. I, I'm still a little salty about that because it, yeah. every other system ha- has come with a game. It, it, what bothers me is it cost them nothing to preload some software on the system. It didn't have to be an actual cartridge. In fact, that would have been extra cost. So I understand why they wouldn't do that. But come on. All you have to do is have a preloaded 1-2 Switch demo on there that has like two or three mini games. That's it. It's like so easy. It's so basic. I can't believe they didn't do it. But If anything, like you said, if it's a demo, give them a reasonable demo. But enough to say, I really liked that. And if you tell them there's 10 more mini games on it. Then they'll say, oh, how much is it? Oh, it's $20? Yeah. <laughs> yes, sign me up, but not 50 bucks. So I, I still struggle with the Switch um, being recommended as something you should buy. But Legend of Zelda is no question. You have to buy and play this game. It it just feels like the first time they've been an open world Legend of Zelda game since the original Legend of Zelda. Uh, and same with Link to the Past. Like you, it, it's, it's amazing how it, it mimics those games. Like it mimics, oh, it, it mimics Link to the Past in the sense that like hmm. I'm I'm currently around Death Mountain, so in in Link to the Past you had your desert area, you had your swamp area, you had your your cold. you know cold area. Like I have all those areas in this game. It's just much bigger and much further away. The the size of the world is completely. It blew me away. It, it is very impressive. I I told him. I told Greg. That, oh, oh, I looked something up on the map and I wanted to kind of point him to it. And I said, okay, uh, show me the starting area. And then he's like, oh, okay. And he just zooms in. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. I didn't realize you had already explored that much. <laughs> and, and and I've been exploring a lot, but not really doing a lot. Like mm-hmm. I've been exploring and I've been getting the towers to like reveal areas. And I've been doing a few of the shrines here and there. But I'm actually surprisingly have a ton of uh, stuff to do in that game still, which and I'm loving the old school like you have to legitimately find these secrets on your own. Like They're not dinged all over the map. Like a lot of times like in an Assassin's Creed type game or even Horizon Zero Dawn, which I think is very awesome. In those games, it has little points on on the map, which is where everything is. So you just go to that point, you look around for it, you find it and you leave here. They have that many little points and secrets. They're just not on the map. Mm-hmm. You have to find them on your own. And so you'll be up on a high mountain somewhere. You'll look over and see a couple houses or a point of interest somewhere. And you'll actually go to it because you saw it, not because the map told you to go there. But here's the thing that's really bothering me. It's related to Breath of the Wild, but it's not related to what you've been saying. I feel like I can't even go on social media right now on any platform or any any system or service like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Because so many people are posting screenshots of things. Yes. And I mean, I'm watching you play, but I'm only kind of half watching it. And you play that game when I'm not around and and it's fine. I feel like I'm not getting a lot of the storyline, which is what I want. Because I want to play it and have my own experience with it. But people are posting what I think could be considered spoiling screenshots. Because they're showing characters. They're showing interactions. 
they're showing gameplay even. Some people are posting videos. I just want people to not do that. Well, I get that people are excited, but have it be your own experience, not ruin something for somebody else. It's just kind of sad, but that's kind of how everybody is nowadays. Like, I guess everybody just wants to put everything out there. Like, they have to be the first to share something or the first to see something. Like, it. It's like, eh. no. Just <laughs> have it be, like, the whole Legend of Zelda series is very near and dear to my heart. It was one of the first video games I ever watched and ever played. So I have a very large soft spot for this this franchise. I don't want to see that with without me actually playing the game. Like, I want to experience that and see that character on my own. I don't want to see somebody else post a screen cap of something that they did. I just it just ruins the the yeah. magic of it. And it's meant to be, like I said, an experience that you yourself have, not share it with a thousand people. Like it why? Just why? I, I don't understand. Yeah, and, and that's, maybe I'm just as old. That's no, that's a totally valid complaint. And then and here's my complaint about the Switch and the Legend of Zelda stuff. So a lot of people got burned by the Wii. So they got burned because they feel like Nintendo made a system, they all bought into it, and then Nintendo later was like, well, it's not really successful, so we're going to back out and make a new system. A lot of people were upset at Nintendo for that. Mm -hmm. Those same people, though, typically, and I even got a little bit of an argument with uh, Dave with this on Friday, Thursday or Friday, I think it was Thursday, whatever, it doesn't matter. And he was basically, someone was on the phone, he's like, he's like, oh, Zelda's really cool, but oh, the Switch, the Switch sucks. The Switch, don't buy a Switch, it oh, sucks. No. And now, as you guys just heard me earlier, I'm saying you might want to hold off on a Switch. Like, like I'm not saying you should buy one. That's not what I'm trying to tell at all. But to say it sucks is really, really dumb and ignorant. And I had to talk today about that. And I was like, hey, man, like, you know, you're better than that. Like, you've played these things before. You know how systems are. You appreciate weird, wacky stuff. I said, so you can't, I'm like, you're mad at Nintendo. You're not mad at the Switch. Don't take it out on the hardware there just because you're mad that the company burned you on a different game system. And so I just, I feel like I'm having these arguments with people where they're, and they're trying to bring it, you know, they're trying to tear it down. Like there's people who like, oh man, like, like recently, I think it was la early last week, someone posted a video and it was like owning a Nintendo Switch. And it was like a compilation of all the problems the Switch has been having. And people are sharing it all over the place. And like, I, again, by no stretch of the imagination, my a Nintendo fanboy at all. Like I love Nintendo back in the day. I think I always say that I grew up and Nintendo never grew up with me. Mm. So I grew up, I started playing the PlayStation. Sony is my go-to company for gaming consoles. But you gotta be straight with it. Like, you can't just make stuff up. And so, like, these people are like, oh, look at what happens if you put the Switch in the dock wrong, it scratches. Well, okay, I was looking at it yesterday when I put it back in the dock. If you put it in, like, a normal human, you're not gonna scratch it. <laughs> you don't put it in with your feet? <laughs> you, don't, you don't jam it in as hard as you can either. You Like, you look and go, okay, let's slide in. Well, you have Plop, to understand that even though, you know, it's 2017, that... Hardware is still hardware, and you have to be delicate with some pieces of electronics. And like, you can't treat it like you would treat, you know, whatever. I, it makes me question how people treat their other systems, where if if you manage to scratch your Switch by putting it into the dock, I don't understand how that happened, because I did it, and I just, not, you know, I, I just, I wasn't like I was afraid to break it, I was just careful. Yeah, just sometimes have to be careful. And, and mindful, you know, and just thinking about, okay, I'm putting it in the dock now, not, you know, 
half paying attention yeah. because it's an expensive piece of electronics. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it bothers me because, like, people who adopt systems early, the early adopters, you know, like, they, how do they not understand what it's like to buy a new system? Unless the Switch was a bunch of people's first ever brand new system, it's always like this. You always have issues. When the Xbox One came out, there was this gross, like, grinding disc issue where mm. all, you put the disc in, all you hear was like, and it was this horrible sound. PlayStation 4, people were complaining because the HDMI ports in the back. We're having some issues, like if you were if it if you didn't fit in perfectly, you did something weird with the HDMI, it would bend the pins, and mm. then your HDMI port was bent. And then there's also a complaint about the PS4 having, um, you know, like uh, the analog sticks coming off the controllers, and so everyone's always like, "Oh my god, this console sucks!" Like they're always they're looking for reasons to tear it down. You know, why don't you look for the good in things sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. We always talk about positivity here, yeah. and I, and and like come on like, like you, why do people have to dump on everything why here, can't we just enjoy things you know here's let's let's talk about the the let's end our podcast with our favorite features of the switch i'll start the resolution on the tablet is fantastic <laughs> yeah it one. is it's very pretty well you can't use the same one you have to do a different one uh well i don't know i the joy cons i'll be honest are really really suck so I really like the Pro Controller. Okay. So like the good thing about the we, the Switch is that Nintendo was mindful enough to say, hey, there's people out there who have huge hands, like Greg, so he needs a controller with act something actually to hold on to. And the Pro Controller is a brilliant controller. It's it's like a mix between PS4 and Xbox One, and it's excellent controller. Love it. Absolutely love it. I am on the opposite side. I love the Joy-Con controllers. And the the rumble pack feature or whatever you want to call it, the vibration that happens with the Joy-Con, is very like HD I don't know rumble. what it is. It's it's so it's minute, but it's really impactful. Like I don't know what kind of little cool. whirly gigs they put in there, but I really do like that feature because it's not like making my whole hand vibrate, mm -hmm. which is the problem that I have a lot of the time with DualShock controller. It almost numbs my hand. Yeah. <laughs> So I am on the other side. I have small hands. So mm -hmm. I enjoy the Joy-Con controller. And then it's not really a feature, but the last thing I really like about the Switch is Legend of Zelda. I mean, mm -hmm. the game is just fantastic. And it's it's going to go down as one of those just like instant classics, like one of those best games of all time. It's it's there. It's on that level. And um, people need to play it. It just if you don't haven't had Nintendo system in a while, you don't want to buy a system to play it. Totally understand. I don't blame you. I'm just saying you're missing out. And if you could somehow get your hands on it, you got to do it. And even if you've never played a Zelda game before in your life, I still think that you can find the same type of enjoyment. It may, well, a similar enjoyment of the gameplay itself. From what I've heard, unfortunately, on the internet, thank you very much, people, <laughs> there are certain things that are callbacks or references to previous games, which makes me really excited to play and find those things. Mm -hmm. Because... Being a lifelong Zelda, uh, Legend of Zelda franchise fan, I notice those things, will notice those things and will pick up on those things. So I'm very excited to to see those for myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So it's, that's, that's the jam. That's it. That's the podcast, everybody. Thanks as always for listening. Um, we'll be back next week as always uh, on your late, late, late Sunday night, if you listen to it or Monday morning, we usually have it all up. Mm-hmm. And as always, you can tweet at me. I'm at Game Trade Greg with two G's at the end. 
I am at Game Talk Jen. And everybody, we hope you have a great day and have a great week. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Bye